0: book of genesis chapter 28 verses 10 to 19 jacob's dream in bethel jacob left bashida and set out for haran when he reached a certain place he stopped for the night because the sun had set Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I shall not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He prayed, How awesome is this place! It is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar. The
1: Gospel reading. The um, responses are on page six. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time... I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field answered. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is a devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, while there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears. Let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ.
2: We pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May we here today have ears which are open and listening we can hear your voice speaking to us, Lord. Leave this place transformed by your word and so may the meditations of all our hearts be worthy and acceptable to you O Lord our strength and our redeemer amen uh, Jesus is talking uh, in this passage and we've been looking over the last few weeks and he's talking about seed quite a lot and fields and wheat and all sorts of things um, and where to sow and um, we we've touched on that um, recently so today we're going to be focusing uh, more specifically on the first passage from Genesis 28. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, do please um, uh, open it up or hold the, uh, the sheets uh, as we go through uh, Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. It starts, The whole, this passage begins, He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Now, it might not seem like a very profound place to begin our thinking this morning, but that's not the case. It's really important we get the context of this passage right, because Jacob is a man on the run. He's a man on the run. In fact, he's always been a man on the run, really, when you think about it. Through the scriptures, we've, we've learned that he's either chasing or being chased. It started in his mother's womb, didn't it, with his twin brother Esau? Esau is coming out and there is Jacob's hand saying, got you, brother, I've got you. He's chasing his brother out. He's grabbing the heel of Esau as he's coming and being born. And that birthing event foreshadows what is to come throughout Jacob's life. Most of us here probably will remember the account where one day Esau comes home from hunting. He's famished and he wants the stew which Jacob has made. Jacob offers a bowl for a birthright. Both men, if you like, are hungry. They want something, and the deal is done. Esau gets a bowl of soup. Jacob gets the birthright, that older brother's right to a double portion of inheritance and the title of number one son. But Jacob is, even more than this, still hungry. He wants more. He wants his father's blessing the blessing that rightfully belonged to Esau as the firstborn. And so he lies. Jacob lies and deceives his father Isaac. Yes, it's me, it's Esau, the firstborn. And and Isaac gives him his blessing. Jacob steals Esau's blessing. There is nothing left for Esau. He's had the inheritance, he's had the blessing, He's had everything. Esau gets nothing. Jacob is living up to his name as one who supplants. And so Esau consoles himself with a plan to kill Jacob. Act his revenge on him. And this is where we pick up today's passage. Jacob is in danger and he's been sent to go and find a wife because as we all know, wives can sort everything out for us. And so he's left Beersheba and he's going towards Haran. He is a wanted man. He is a wanted man. Esau wants to kill him. But he's also wanted in another way. He is wanted by God. Here he is, a man on the run. And he's making a journey from Beersheba to Haran. And he's wanted by Esau, but he's wanted by God. This scripture is about a journey he's making, not just about his physical survival, but about a spiritual journey. Jacob is running for his life. And so it says he came to a certain place. It was nowhere special. Just a certain place. But God made it very special. Most of us, I suspect, know what it's like to live life on the run, and I'm not suggesting we're all criminals here, like Jacob, but I'm suggesting that some of us know what it's like to run from our past, to run trying to escape guilt or regret or failure or disappointment. Perhaps some of us are trying to run from the pain, the losses and the brokenness of our lives. Sometimes, We just want to leave behind the parts of our lives which we dislike and get away from them. Other times we're running, but towards something, towards the future. For some of us, life on the run is something new, isn't it? Maybe a new job, a new relationship. Maybe it's the search for answers. Who am I? What is this life all about? Maybe what's my purpose? Maybe we're chasing meaning. Maybe some of us are chasing youth. So we live from run to run. We live, if you like, on a horizontal axis of our lives where we're totally bound by the reality of time and space and matter. And we miss the vertical axis of the transcendent and powerful love of God because we're so busy running backwards and forwards. But Jacob soon learns. He can run, but he cannot. Life on the run eventually takes us to a point or a moment where suddenly everything changes. And in this account, we're told that it's a certain place. Somewhere between Beersheba and Haran, And so I think this is not so much a geographical location as a spiritual orientation. I wonder if that's why some of us come to church, to have our internal spiritual compasses realigned to God. You see, Jacob's left Beersheba, the people in the place that are familiar, but he's not yet in Haran, this new place. He's in a certain place, an in-between place, a place of liminality, neither here nor there. And this is the place where he is most vulnerable. But it's also the place in the middle of nowhere where God chose to speak to Jacob. Now, if you take the word nowhere and you put a space between the W and the H, you get now here, now here. So this place, this in-between place in our lives turns from being a nowhere to a now, here, God is going to meet you. Now, here, God is going to do something. Now, here, on this hill, in this funny building church, in the top of Upper Basildon, now, here, God is going to do something. I think there's great encouragement. If you feel like you're spiritually, spiritually lost, confused, visionless, I am convinced that if God can meet a fugitive called Jacob on a pile of stones in the middle of a desert, then he can meet you here today too. Sometimes, though, we have to be in the darkness, don't we, to get a fuller vision of who is really out there. Do you know this saying, you can only see the stars at night? This place that Jacob finds himself in is a hard place, a dark place. The sun has set and it's full of stones. In fact, Jacob takes one and uses it as his pillow. Now, if I've done my maths correctly, Jacob is 77 at this point and he's using a stone as a pillow. He hasn't popped down to Dunelm for a nice goose down pillow. He has a stone. Any 77-year-olds fancy a stone for your pillow? this is a hard place. This is a dark and hard place, and yet it's a now here place, a place full of grace. When the sun has set and the darkness takes over, he can't go on anymore. It's too dangerous. He can only stop and lie down. It's almost a point of surrender, but not quite giving up. I think that's how we're supposed to come to the Lord to stop running on our horizontal axis all the time, to m- stop moving from thing to thing, to stop running from our pain, to stop running from him, and to stop, to surrender to his overwhelming goodness. Sometimes the darkness in our lives uh, teaches us that we're no longer in control. Has anyone felt that before? Something bad happens. We're no longer in control. And it's in these very moments that some of the most powerful encounters of God can happen. because He speaks in the scary times. He speaks in the uncertain times. He speaks in the dark times. And we know that when God speaks, there is light. In Jacob's dream about this ladder, which he sees angels ascending and descending, we're given an insight, I think, into this new axis, this vertical axis, a snapshot of how God intersects the horizontal of our life and all of our running. And instead, he makes us pause and fills us with hope and peace and love and joy and his transcendent power. And this point of intersection is always an awesome place. And that's why Jacob marks it. He builds this pillar of stones and he pours his oil out on top of it. And he calls it Bethel, which literally just means house of God, place of God. And I suppose that's what our church buildings have tried to be to us with varying degrees of success places where we stop each week, where we pause where we give our time and our space and our thoughts and our minds and ourselves to look up and meet the creator, to feel connected to him in some way, to seek his presence in our lives before we go off again to our running. Jacob's ladder reveals something really important. It reveals the real connection between heaven and earth, divinity and humanity the uncreated and the created. So I want to ask you this. Where is Jacob's Ladder? I think there's one in Bath somewhere, Bristol. I think there's possibly one in the States. Peak District. Have some amazing geographical features, geological features that are named after it. But the real Jacob's ladder is not a physical location. You can't really go and visit the actual one, as beautiful as the Peak District is. It was within him. Through Jacob, God reveals that the ladder of his love, his life, his connection, is found deep within ourselves. So deep in fact, that in Jacob it was given in the gift of a dream. We call it Jacob's ladder but it's not possessed by Jacob, it's God's ladder placed in each one of us. And what is absolutely amazing and really encouraging is that the ladder is revealed in the life of this fugitive who's on the run in a dark place, in a hard place where the sun has set with this person who's lived up to his name in a certain place place we never expected it and yet God met Jacob there. So I want us to consider 2,000 years later that Jesus could be our ladder. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in us is our ladder to the heavenly. The ladder reveals his nature. He's both God and man in one person. As a man, he was set down upon the earth, climbing down the ladder, if you like, upon the earth as as man. But also he remains in heaven as God, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. As a man, he reached down all the way to earth, and as God, he reaches all the way to heaven. He bridges the gap between God and God and mankind. So how do we ascend this ladder? It's very simple. We climb it by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And because we ascend this ladder by faith, salvation is available to all of us who believe. Now, when you think of ladder, I don't want you to think of like a rusty old church ladder that's been around for 400 years with runs missing. This is the best, sturdiest, safest ladder You could possibly imagine and for those who need it it's got handrails it's the best ladder he is the most reliable ladder we put our trust in him so i want to finish by asking a question or a couple of questions what parts of your life are lived on the run what are you searching for what are you running from Can you stop running? Can you stop running for a moment to put your foot on the first run of God's ladder? Because God's ladder of love is found within you. No matter who you are, no matter where you go, no matter where you want to do this, in the middle of your home or in the middle of the downs or the peak district, there's nowhere we can outrun the Lord. The ladder of connection goes with you. So I want to encourage us all. Why not climb it and see who you find at the top? Salvation takes just one step of faith. God does the rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us, that within each of us is a connection to you. It's up to us to activate it, to take the step and put our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, making a way for us to live with you forever. Father, would you reveal to each one of us here today the power of your love? Would you remind us that we are your heavenly children, that you love us because you love us because you love us? pray, Lord, that as we go through this week, we might find time to stop running, to stop running from our past and our pain, but be attentive to our present, be attentive to you. Help us, Lord, take the first step of this ladder, even in the dark and hard places of our lives. May we feel connected to you, supported by you, that we would put our lives our hopes and our trust in you. Jesus' mighty name, amen.